This morning, um, we're going to have another change for you. And uh, we have Al Cabral down for a report on Restoration Ministries, one of our missionaries. And as I was thinking through, I'm like, <clears throat> I think I know Al. And um, we all know Al. Why just let him give a report? Why don't we just let him preach? And as we were talking yesterday, God kind of just kind of nudged me and said, yeah, do it. I'm like, okay, uh, here we go. And uh, so I went up to him like, not many guys will do this, right? Um, <clears throat> on a moment's notice, just come up and do it. And, uh, but we know that God is working in and through Al and Cabral. Al and Brenda, they've been a, just a tremendous blessing to us. We've been talking a lot about various things, and this fits in. If you look at the back of your sermon notes or the notes that there, the review, we've been talking about the greatness of God. And I really believe some of the things that we've been talking about on Saturday morning is almost parallel to what we've been studying. So it's not a separate thought. It is a continuation of thought, and it's a delight to be able to turn the platform and the podium over, too. Good morning, everybody. I'm as surprised to be here as you are to see me here. All of this starts off when we get talking. Thank you very much. Uh, and we've been talking over the last little while about things of the church, about the church, at the church. And I just, whenever anybody gives me an opportunity to say something about a subject, I don't think I'm very hesitant to just start giving my opinion about it. And what we were basically talking about is <clears throat> this verse in 1 Timothy. If you could turn there with me for a second, please. Um, I, I'm going to speak on Titus, but I need to introduce it by speaking on, from 1 Timothy. This is Timothy. Uh, he's a young guy. He's, uh, Paul had... Um, taking him under his wing. He's a little fearful in his personality where he is. And he is now challenged with the responsibility of leading other people. Verse 1 of chapter 3, 1 Timothy says, This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer or an elder or a pastor or a leader in the church. So there's one sense in which God calls the overseers. The Holy Ghost made you head over these churches. And there's another sense in which a man can desire those. And that's what kind of got me thinking. Is God not calling people today? Because there seems to be a dearth in people who are lining up to say, I, I, I would like to be a part of this. If this is a noble venture, if this is one of the best things I can do with my life is to be involved in the service of the church, then it's either God not calling people any longer or people not volunteering for this. Down in verse 13, he says this, for those who serve well as deacons, now he's moved from elders down to deacons, gain for them a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith. 
So here are some people who are leaders in the church, elders first and then deacons, and it is a noble venture. I was coming across a bridge yesterday, and I saw this guy holding, tourist, obviously holding his baby over the bridge in that little walkway over the bridge so that the little four or five-year-old could see the water. I thought immediately of Michael Jackson, if you remember that. Sorry. Um, holding his baby over the railing like this. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be noble if he dropped that baby? If somebody jumped off the Heartland Bridge in that cold water and went and rescued that baby, that'd be pretty noble, right? They'd put that on TV. You'd see it all over Facebook. It'd be pretty noble. If your boss came to you and said, we'd like to promote you, that's what the second one is, he gains confidence. He gains a new degree, a new promotion. He gets to be elevated. This is how God looks at leadership. You've just been given an honorary degree. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, God gives out these things to people who say yes to whatever it is he's doing. And the church is really important to God. I'm not talking about you working your guts out because nobody else will. I'm not talking about overloading you. I'm just talking about the privilege and the elevation and the degree of honor that God wants to give to us um, in serving his church. But I've been looking at Titus. Could you turn to Titus? Because this all fits together. Titus is a page and a third. It's a, it's a page and a third of a guy with a totally different personality. If we only had the book of Titus, if that's the only thing God ever revealed to us, you could get saved by reading this. You would know an awful lot about God by just reading Titus. And I should say, I'm, I'm going to be teaching the ladies' Bible study this fall. I mean, I'm just up for the challenge of that. What a rowdy bunch that is. And I'm going to teach you Titus. So you need to come because I, I'm just going to hit the highlights here. And I ask myself the question, where does God go when he wants to find new people to add to his church? Where does he go? What is his pool for getting people who are going to be leaders like Titus, like Timothy, like Paul? Paul calls himself a servant in the first chapter of Titus, of Jesus Christ. It's an elevated term, really. If you were a servant of Caesar, if you were the queen's butler, Nobody walks around and says, don't tell anybody, I'm the queen's butler. It's quite an honor. You're a servant of Caesar? Yes, I serve Caesar. My life purpose is to serve Caesar. Paul said, I am a servant of God. You know, I know that word means doulos. It means a bond slave. But literally, it means a kicker of dust. A dust kicker. Ooh. What, what does that mean? It means you are in an activity, and by your activity, you are creating a dust cloud. 
Paul says, I am a dust kicker for God. In my activity, I am giving myself, my life, for his cause. I'm not doing this for Wayne. I'm not doing this for the deacons. I'm not doing it for people's church. I'm doing it for God. And nobody is exempt from this. I thought the other day, when the next American president is inaugurated, I will be 70 years old. That's only year after next. You can tell me I look young. I think the greatest tragedy in all the world is that I would live my whole life and be honored by men and never get in on what God is doing. Titus says, Paul says to Titus, look at verse 5. I left you in the island of Crete, which is 165 miles by 35 miles. Only one end was inhabited. I left you there so you could fix what was lacking, so that you would put it into order, so that you would rearrange it and organize it. Because I'm heading off to kick dust somewhere else. I wrote to Wayne yesterday, and I said something about, I think I signed it kicking dust, did I? I signed the email kicking dust, and I said, that sounds like a good Native American Indian name. Kicking dust. Hey, <laughs> chief, kicking dust. What God wants to do, and the reason he has left you behind, that series called Left Behind is about when the rapture takes place, all the unbelievers who are left behind. That is a tragedy. This is not a tragedy. He left you here. For what? So that you could get a house and a job and make money so that you could retire, so we could put you in a nursing home, so that we could tube feed you. Is that why you were left here? Absolutely not. You were left here to kick dust, not dirt, for God. And if I understand who God is, I would, I would line up somewhere. I would queue up, as the Brits say. I'd be in the queue to say, i got to be part of this. I'm doing all these other things and I'm really busy with life and I have a huge agenda. But you may be lacking in kicking them. If you stand before Jesus, who created the biggest dust cloud ever on that hill, when he was accomplishing his Father's will, he called himself, I am the servant of God in Isaiah. Jesus is the servant of God? He is a dust kicker for God? Yes. Why? Because all of humanity is lacking. There's something in us that tells us something's wrong. It's not in order. And that's why there is so much confusion in life. Now, I do know what time it is. I sit down there every Sunday and I get very nervous at three minutes to 11.30. So I don't want you to be nervous. <laughs> I'm just going to 
I'm just going to kick a little dust here. So I want to read this portion of Titus. It's a page and a third. Let's say this is all you knew about God. You're good. You're good to go. Paul, I'm a servant of God. I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Excuse me. And their knowledge of the truth. That's why I'm an apostle. Which accords to godliness. I can't be a believer and be in ungodliness. In the hope of eternal life. Look at the subjects he's covering. Which God, who never lies, promises, be, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time in the New Testament, manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. I didn't make this up. This isn't some little religious group I started. It is the command of God. It is about eternal life. To Titus, my beloved son, in the faith, grace and peace. Why does he need grace and peace? You need grace when you're in a tough situation. (sighs) Man, you need grace. We were in town yesterday shopping. And I'm driving and Brenda said, why do you have your blinker on? I said, I'm going to turn. She said, where? I said, somewhere soon. (laughs) We walked into the store and she put some chocolate chips in the thing. And I went through and after we got through the cashier, the chocolate chips were still in there. Now you're wondering what we did with the chocolate chips. Um, And she went and put them back in the store. And there was one other thing I don't remember. See, I have a memory problem, a serious one. And when we got home, I said to her, I know this bothers you, but I can't help it. She didn't get upset. She just said, I understand, huh? You, You just, from one thing to another, you just don't remember. I felt bad because she felt bad. Now, let me tell you how God feels when we forget him. It's not not a memory problem with us. It is a priority issue. I got stuff to do, God. I got a life to live. I can't be messing with kicking dust for you. I'm kicking up enough dust for me. I got lots of things to do. I can't be left behind with a crummy bunch of people like the Cretans. And you want me to stay here to help them. Look at the next verse. This is why I left you in Crete. Crete was a port city full of mercenaries. It's where all these mercenary soldiers went to and waited for the ships to come in so that they could go off to war. And they offered themselves to the highest bidder. How much will you give me if I go to Africa and fight for you? To Ethiopia, if I went to Egypt, if I go over to Babylon or Persia, how much can I sell myself to you to be a mercenary for you? And that's what was going on in Crete. 650 years before Titus got this letter, 
One of their poets, Epimedes, said, the Cretans are always liars. It's the, way, it's the way they did things in Crete. They're evil beasts. They would slit your throat for ten bucks. And they're glutton. And Paul says to Titus, I left you there. <laughs> Imagine having a church like this. Good morning, church. They're eating. They're lying to each other right in the pew. They are. And he said, I left you there that you might help them with this leadership problem. Where is God going to get people from Crete to serve him? So he gives him a long list of the qualifications for people. Most of you, gentlemen, would pass that test. So I want to say five things. This is not an exposition because I have three months with the ladies. In which we will go into great detail. I just want to say that in chapter 2, Naomi, wherever you are, ah, she's having an event so that she can bring together younger women and older women. You say, <laughs> who in the world thinks that's a good idea? All the young people will be on their cell They're talking to, always talking to people who are not there. And then when they're with that person, they're talking to somebody else who isn't there. And older people are just talking to themselves. <laughs> who thinks that's a good idea? God! Do you know what we're not doing in this culture? Old people are not talking to younger people. I know I don't have much time. I've been at this 45 years, if you're interested in what I do. I've been at this for 45 years, this life of ministry. I've been 25 years in restoration. And I'm going to die someday. And somebody else is going to come along and fill my place kicking dust. Not my place, but God's going to put him in another place. And the succession is younger girls learn from older women, younger guys learn from older men. I was fascinated what he says to older guys here. He says you need to be sober to older guys. I don't think he's talking about not being drunk, but don't be drunk either. He's talking about being self-controlled. With Parkinson's, one of my problems is my brain wants to take me in a thousand different ways. Every day! And I have to say, we're not going there. Or there, or there, or there. Most of them not evil, just very distracting. And he says to the older men, you need to be self-controlled. You'd think he'd say that to the kids, wouldn't you? He does. This word, self-controlled, has to do with your diaphragm. There's something in there. Everybody's got one. I don't know if you've ever seen yours, but it's called the diaphragm. And that diaphragm says to your lungs, keep pumping. Even when you're sleeping, keep pumping. And it says to your heart, I'm going to help you here. 
You never have to talk to your diaphragm, order it around. It's just in there. That's, that's what this word means. Have some stability about you when you get older. Have some self-control when you're younger. Why? Because the God that we serve is so huge and so humongous. And he could do every single thing by himself. He does not need you. But he's giving you a noble venture to go on. And it is noble. He's given you a noble venture to do for him because he's not here, but he's coming back. And if what you're doing now is just for yourself, you will only have dust when he comes, but he's coming in glory. Larry, stand up for a second, will you? I admire this guy. You can sit down. (laughs) I admire this guy. Because he has kept doing what has been very hard for a number of years. Because he loves God, not because it's an easy, cushy job in giving leadership. Phil, can you stand? We'll give you a minute. Phil has MS. Thank you, Phil. Look! who God is picking to represent him. I'm full of stuff. And he says, I want you to preach with one day's notice. Here's my five things. Number one, the place where you are is obviously difficult. The place where you are is obviously difficult. God says, I got it. Steve, I would if I was a healer, I'd say, stand up, boy. But I'm not a healer, so you just sit there and sit up then at least. Quit sleeping. Steve is a worship leader. All of of these people have difficult, difficult things to do, but they're kicking up dust for God because the end reward of this is so huge and so humongous. One day, Titus says, he's going to appear in glory. That great mega God, our Savior, will appear in glory. And he's coming back for us. And I would say in the marriage, in the job, in the culture that you live in, with your kids, most of us live in a very difficult place. And Jesus says, I left you there. And the reason I left you there is I need somebody there to represent me because one day when you stand before me, you were only here on this level, but I am going to raise you up and I'm going to share my glory and my kingdom with you. So the pay for deacons here is diddly squat. And the worship leader gets nothing except the opportunity to kick up a little dust for God.
So I'm wondering, when ISIS puts out a call and they say, we need a couple hundred thousand guys to come and girls to come, they have queues of them lined up. What are they going to face? Death, difficulty, hardship. Jesus says, I have a church to run. I have people to serve. I want you to get involved. Don't tell me you're busy. I'm busy being God. I just read yesterday. ISIS just put out their price list. The price list is for young ladies. That they will sell on the market. I'm just going to say this once. $165 for a kid one to nine. There are thousands of Christians who love Jesus who are in a very difficult place. And then they will take those kids after they have used them and abused them and they will sell them back to the parents for thousands of dollars. The culture of Crete was incredibly difficult to start a church. He said to Titus, I left you there. I left you there on purpose. Because I want you to teach them that what God wants to do is acculturate. I, I just learned that beautiful word. Acculturate means take this person who has no knowledge of God, is living this kind of life, has absolutely no purpose to their life, and enculturate them with God. Acculturation means if you move to Canada from some other place, you now like Canadian music, whatever that is. And you now like Canadian food, whatever that is. And you now live in Canada, and you've been acculturated to Canada, and you've learned to say, A. A. What happens when God goes to a very difficult place on the mission field? Naomi's going to Japan, which at one point had hundreds of thousands of Christians in their history. And then the emperor outlawed it. It became very difficult to be a Christian. I, I just want to tell you that one day when you're dead, you're going to stand before Jesus. And you can say, Jesus, I had a great job. I had a nice house. I had lots of money for retirement. I, I gave lots of money away. I helped lots of people. But I... I what you wanted me to do is sacrifice myself for your honor and your glory, and I wasn't about to do that. I don't know if you've heard this story, but there was a guy who was in jail, and he met the Messiah in jail, which totally, completely changed his life. And uh, he got out of jail, and was a cultural phenomenon in America. Except his Messiah was Elijah Muhammad. And then he realized that Elijah Muhammad was a fraud and a fake. And they killed him in the 60s. Malcolm X. This Messiah who puts you in a very difficult place is to get your attention to say, Hey, can you stop for a minute? 
because nobody is kicking up dust for me. Every time you serve people and you serve somebody, it is a good thing for God. Secondly, the things you believe are incredibly important. Isis says, come with us, you be martyred, you get heaven. How true is that? It's baloney. They're just dead. They're in hell and they can't do anything about it. They don't know anything about it. He talks here about this God and this gospel. Just listen to this part. For the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to denounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, diaphragm, upright and godly lives in this present age. You cannot live in any other age than this age. This is the age that you get to live in. You don't have a second choice. And in this age, the culture is against us. Everywhere it is against what the Bible teaches. How are we going to live in this culture when everything about this culture is saying what you guys believe is baloney? Your priorities are off. Ah, says God. It's important what you believe about me. How's their culture working, by the way? I talk to people all the time. I'm talking to one this afternoon. They know it's not working, by the way. And they're looking for something. They're in the dark. If you know Woody Bachman, you will know he was brought up by a Buddhist mother. Never heard of Jesus. Went to Oxford. When he got to Oxford, he had become a Christian. And the professor looked at him and he said, the only reason you're a Christian, the only reason you believe that, is because you were brought up that way. He's kind of smiling. He said, I wasn't brought up that way. But I do know the difference between what the Bible teaches and what the world teaches. I do know the difference between being lost and, and dead and blind and what the gospel has given me. So what you believe is really important about every aspect of life. Thirdly, the parts that are left undone are causing a problem. The parts of my life that are left undone. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be serious about Jesus. I'm going to volunteer for some leadership. I'm going to get involved. I'm... I'm going to do what I think is the right thing. I'm going to get some older people and some younger people together. I just had an idea. And God says, go, 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 go with those ideas. Don't think I'm holding you back. I just heard about a friend of mine who's a nice guy, nice family, nice wife. Found out this week that his wife has cancer. See, that changes everything right now. Everything has changed. There's nothing like a death sentence to focus your attention. Do you want to know what I do in restoration? I'm going to call him. I'm going to say, I never had cancer. My wife never had cancer. But what you need is a brother to come and kick up 
some dust by the activity that I'm going to do in your life. I think the worst thing that would ever happen is you make it all the way through life and you are incredibly successful and you get out of life whatever it is you want and you get to do whatever it is you think needs to be done and you stand before Jesus and he says to you, I had this for you. And all I can give you is this. I'm going soon. I'm okay with that. But somebody has to fill our place. Is this still a church if Wayne's not here, if I'm not here, if the deacons are not here? And it's going to go on, and it has gone on. And what God is doing today is in these dark, difficult places, he's going to Afghanistan, he's going to Israel, he's going to Iran, and he is building his church in all of these places. Connie said to me when I came in the door this morning, uh, you can't be preaching today because it says here, Wayne's preaching. But I knew I was preaching. She just said, if you're not in the paper, you're not doing it. (laughs) Well, I would say the paper lost. Because I've been doing it. Love you, Connie. Number four, the solutions of God are wonderfully simple. How does God take care of the greatest lack of humanity? Humanity was dead, lost sinful, wicked, worse than Crete. Ah, he looked for a servant and he found one in his son. He said, son, look at them. They're worse than the Cretans. I'll go, I'll go. I'll kick up dust on Calvary. And he stretched out his hands and when it was over, he said, Father, is that enough to fill up the lack Finished. Finished. Good. Over. I can take care of the sins of the whole wide world now because of what you did and in a much lesser way. What you do for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ fills up the lack in other people. Did you ever watch somebody who's sick being taken care of by a person who's well? The person who is sick lacks all of these things. I was in to visit Jean and Brenda, and I took her over some lilies from my... If I ever bring you lilies, you are privileged. And I said, do you remember who my wife is? No. I'm watching Jean in the chair. I said, do you know who I am? Yeah, she said, you're Al Cabral. What was I doing? I was just saying if Jesus was here and he had a whole bunch of lilies, he would probably share them with somebody. Why? Because he's still the servant of God. And the son of God. And the Messiah. The solutions of God are wonderfully simple. I'm going to use ordinary men. I'm not going to ask you to stand again, Steve. I'm going to use ordinary men. I'm not going to go to Carnegie School of Music and find me a worship leader. I'm going to use ordinary men. I'm going to use Phil, who hardly can stand. I'm going to use Al. I'm going to even use healthy people, smart people, brilliant people. But 
I'm going to build my church, and if you would like to join me, I am intent on building this. And when you're done, I will share with you. Now, I'm almost done. Sorry. I got one more point. And then I won't be back until next time when Connie says I can come back. Number five is the methods of God are culturally transforming. The methods of God are culturally transforming. How do I know that? Look at the last part of Titus. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to winter there. Do your best to bring Zenos and the lawyer, the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. Now watch this. We have a lawyer here who's being supported by the church. And Paul said, I want you guys to send him on his missionary journey because he's a lawyer and he could have been making lots of money like most lawyers do, right? Yeah, okay, in the back row there. But for Jesus, other people have to support him now. That's tough for a lawyer. And I want you, when Apollos comes along, Apollos was an orator. You know how much Bill Clinton makes for one speech? $300,000. One speech, and it could be a bad one. Uh, by the way, Apollos, who is a Jewish person born in Africa, he's from Alexandria, You see what God is doing? He's acculturating the church. He's taking a Jew from Africa, and he's taking a Greek guy and a lawyer and somebody named Artemis, who that's a girl's name, by the way. When he was a kid, his mother obviously dedicated him to the gods, and I don't know if transgender was the thing back then, but she called him with a girl's name, like a boy named Sue. He's there! He's a servant of God! And here's God acculturating everybody. I will take you from here. I will take you from here. I will take you from here. Because this same gospel is so incredibly powerful that it changes everything as it changes you. Why? Because it is a noble venture when I give in to God. That's why. It's the best thing you can do. You could think of a hundred things you should do, but that's the best thing you could do. The methods of God are transforming. How do we know that? Well, because Paul, who was a Jesus-hating person, is the guy who's writing the letter. And do you know our good friend Titus? How do we know he made it? Because there's a place in Yugoslavia called Dalmatia. It's where the Dalmatian dog comes from. And that's where he ended up. In Dalmatia. God said, I'm leaving you here for this time, for this purpose. If you want to hear the rest of this, you have to come to the ladies' Bible study. I just thought, 
maybe from an old guy who's had 45 years with this wonderful, incredible thing called ministry. I want to challenge every other person here, younger than me and older than me, to take this God very seriously because it is magnificent what he offers to you, which is a noble venture. Lord bless you. He has a name, Chief Dust Kicker. And he's kicked some dust here today. It's interesting, isn't it? God doesn't want your life. He wants your heart. That's the whole point, right? I think we've forgotten that element. It's not our life. It's not all this stuff. If he has our heart, then he has everything. So what you believe about God is huge right now when you leave here this morning. Let's be dust kickers for God. Let's stand together.